the book of Acts. If you think about it, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those books, the first four books of the New Testament, and they're, they're giving us this multifaceted picture of Jesus and his ministry. And so you have Matthew who's really trying to focus on Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of the Jews. And you have Mark who's really trying to focus on Jesus as the one who's the man of action. He's the servant leader. And so you see the word immediately over and over again in the book of Mark. And then Luke's gospel, which we'll talk about in a second, has has its own unique sort of take. John's gospel is about the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus was divine, that he was God's only begotten son. Or we might even say theologically, he was God the son. And Luke though, Luke writes about Jesus being the perfect man. That's his emphasis. That's what he's trying to bring about. And I bring up Luke because the, the, the author of the gospel that has that name, Luke is the same one who wrote Acts. And we know that just from the very first sentence where it says in verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus. So to understand sort of what Luke is going for with the book of Acts, we really need to look at the first couple of verses of the Gospel of Luke. So turn to the Gospel of Luke, and we want to look at Luke chapter 1. Now, what we understand is that when Luke was writing this Gospel, that really his intention was to not write the gospel and later on he thought, I should add some more bits. But his intention was to write Luke's gospel and then go right into uh, the book of Acts, what we call the book of Acts. And it's like one book with two volumes. It's not like this is the sequel, Acts is the sequel. It's actually one book with two volumes. And so the same sort of uh, efforts and the same sort of guidelines that he used to write uh, the gospel of Luke is what he used to write the book of Acts. And so we, we start in the book of Luke, or the Gospel of Luke, the first few verses. And Luke writes, Inasmuch as I, as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were from the beginning uh, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now we're going to be introduced to Luke later on. We don't know tons about Luke, the author. We do know from the book of Colossians, from Paul's writing, that Luke was a physician. Colossians 4 tells us he was a physician, which doesn't mean he was a GP like some of you guys are, but it does mean that he was uh, probably a slave of a very wealthy a landowner who would have made him or bought him because of the knowledge that he had about the human anatomy and about medicines and such. So he was a, a you might say a man of science in that sense. He was a, a man who observed and tried to help and tried to, to, to bring things that way. Also, we know that from towards the back or the end of the book of Acts, that Luke was uh, one who was one of Paul's close companions. I mean, he was a ministry partner with Paul, went many on his missionary journeys with Paul. And he was, so he was an eyewitness to at least the second half of the book of Acts. He, he saw what was going on there. Now, what we also know about the Gospel of Luke, and this tells us something about Luke, its author, is we know that Luke was someone who didn't just kind of, uh, you know, as maybe what Mark did. Mark probably sat underneath the Apostle Peter and got all of his information pretty much from this, the Apostle Peter. Luke actually went and found as many people as he could who could tell him about Jesus. Alright, tell me what you remember about Jesus. Tell me about what it was like. So he went to Mary. 
the mother of Jesus and said, okay, tell me about how it happened. How did you find out that you were pregnant having not known a man? Tell me that story. And he, he, you know, he went to um, uh, probably relatives of John the Baptist and said, well, tell us the story. What do you know about uh, how, how Elizabeth got pregnant with, with John and, and that whole story? And he gathered as much eyewitness account as he possibly could. In fact, when it says that um, when it says that he have he said he had a um, sort of a perfect understanding, it's this idea that that he had gathered the information and taken the time to, to lay it all out, and he knew exactly how things fit chronologically. He, he was aware of how these things needed to work out together. So, in a very real sense, Luke's gospel is, in one sense, the most thoroughly researched. He had done a lot of work to make sure that he had something laid out clearly. And he addresses Luke and Acts to this person called Theophilus. Now the name Theophilus literally means lover of God or friend of God. And what's interesting about that is because it has that name, some people think it's just uh, representative of just somebody who's maybe a new convert. But because Luke in Luke's gospel refers to him as most excellent, another theory, a theory that I agree with, is that really what he's who's writing to is someone who is a high-ranking Roman official. That was kind of a phrase that you usually, usually saved for someone who was a high-ranking official. A high-ranking Roman official who had become a Christian and needed to be discipled. And so Luke is writing to someone who uh, understands authority, to someone who understands power, to somebody who, who knows uh, to what it's like to be sort of under someone who claims to be God. And yet he's had this conversion experience and thinks, okay, now what does it mean to follow this God-man, this Jesus? And he's also a man, this, this man Theophilus, who probably uh, needed to know the, the really clear, have a really clear understanding of how things work. And so Luke gives us a lot of detail in both the gospel narrative as well as the book of Acts. Now, it's also interesting because here he is as sort of a new Christian wanting to seek the information about what, is, what does it mean to follow Jesus. And that's important because it means that when we're looking at both Luke and the book of Acts, that the information that's there is for someone who's just starting out. It's not like way over your head. You're not diving into the deep end like you may do in the book of Hebrews or the book of Romans. This is, this is just, in a sense, basic stuff. Let me just tell you how it happens. Let me just show you what's going on. Now, because of that, because he's just kind of given us a history of what's happening, and make no mistake, uh, Luke was a great historian. In fact, I'll show you a quote in just a second about how respected he is as a historian. So as he's writing this history, though, what he's doing is he's laying out an orderly history so that we can see how these things happened. But he expects us to come to conclusions, not just based on what he says. We know that because Luke's ministry partner, Paul, at the time that he was with him, was writing letter after letter after letter, epistles sending out to the churches in Corinth and the churches in Galatia and so on and so forth. And so Luke would have been there watching him write these things. Oftentimes, like in the book of Colossians, he says, hey, Luke says hi, basically. Paraphrase, you know. And so he's there hearing this stuff. He knows that the people like Theophilus, if this is just one man, and he knows who else is going to read this, is going to also eventually have access to this stuff. And so he's trying to say, okay, you've probably read things like what Mark's Mark's account was about who Jesus was, and now you've read my accounts about what Jesus was like, and you've read some of the letters from from Peter or from John or or, or from Paul, and now I want to kind of fill in the gap. I want to give you this history so you know, okay, how do we go from Jesus dying and saying, you know, go out and make disciples to Paul writing, do this stuff? 
How do we get there from Jesus to Paul? That's what Acts does. Now, it's also important to recognize that when he, what he says here in verses 3 and 4 of Luke's Gospel, he talks about he's writing an, uh, an orderly account, something that's easy to follow, but also he's saying he's doing this so that, so that Theophilus may know the certainty of those things in which he was instructed. In other words, listen, Luke wants to make sure whoever reads this, including Theophilus, understands that this is accurate. This is actually what happens. Listen to this quote from uh, an expert in Greco-Roman history. The man who was around, he, he, he made this quote, Sherwin, uh, A. and Sherwin White said this in the 1960s. And here's what he said, The historical framework isn't exact. In terms of time and place, the details are precise and correct. For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd. And Roman historians have taken it, uh, have taken it for granted. They have long taken it for granted. In other words, this expert on Greco-Roman history is saying what we have in the Gospel of Luke, what we have specifically in the book of Acts, is trustworthy history. And that's important. It's important because we live in a day and age where everybody wants to talk, especially when we're talking about religious stuff, talking about spiritual stuff. Everybody wants to talk about in metaphors. And they want to talk about like, yeah, well, just maybe this idea versus this idea. And what we see in the scripture, what we see presented to us is history. This is what happened. And these are the conclusions you need to draw from that. Now, this brings me to the, the very first of three sort of things about what Acts is about. What is Acts all about? Well, Acts is about the people that Jesus impacts. It's about the people that Jesus impacts. Luke was a believer in the gospel. Theophilus, who Luke is writing to, was a believer in the gospel. These are people that whom Jesus had interrupted their life. And, and he wants to talk about what happened. As we, as we get into the book of Acts, and we see how uh, Acts talks about uh, the different things that are happening in the, in the early church, or as some of your Bibles probably say, the Acts of the Apostles, whom we'll talk about in a second. We're going to see that this is about different people whom God's impacting. And God made some pretty radical impacts in the early church. As we'll see, in just a couple of weeks, we get to Acts chapter 2, and the church goes from maybe about 120 to, in one day, boom, 3,120. That would be nice. <laughs> Actually, it probably wouldn't be completely overwhelming. But I mean, just instantaneous, boom, all these people. And we're not talking about visitors. We're talking about people who are radically touched by Jesus. Boom. A few weeks later, maybe months later, another 2,000 are added. I mean, just radical things that Jesus was doing, impacting people after he's even ascended through his church. So Acts is about that. It's history about uh, how things, people have been impacted. But again, going back to Acts chapter 1, he says, the former account of Theophilus, he says, of all that Jesus, notice, began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. Speaking of his ascension. All that he began to do and teach. You might say Luke is, is about the beginning of what he began to do and teach. Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach. In fact, this is why a lot of people will say, look, we are in Acts 29. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We are right now in Acts 29. 
In other words, we, we, God's continuing to do work. Jesus is continuing to do work. This is what Acts is about. It's about how Jesus impacts people. In fact, Saul's conversion is pretty exemplary in this. We'll get to this later on in the book of Acts. This is Paul kind of telling his own testimony years later. And, and, and Paul quotes Jesus as saying, Yes, I am sending you to Gentiles, that's non-Jews, to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, from power, the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Jesus said that to Paul. It's an historical fact according to the book of Acts. That's Paul's own testimony. So Acts is about the people that Jesus is going to impact. But then he goes on to say, in the second part of verse 2 of Acts chapter 1, he says, Jesus began both to do and teach until the time that he was taken up. We'll talk about the ascension next week. But he says, after he, this is Jesus, after Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, Acts is also about the apostles Jesus chose. One of the mistakes that we, well, before I talk about the mistake, one of the things that's good that we often do in the book of Acts, and lots of churches do this, churches say, look, we read the book of Acts, and the book of Acts gives us kind of an example, gives us, draws a line that we should shoot for about what the church should look like. So, so for the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have looked back to the first century, this first church, and said, okay, how they are is how we want to be. Now, there's truth to that. We need to see them as a great example. But one of the problems that, we, that people forget is that the book of Acts focuses not on just all believers. In other words, it doesn't just focus on how Jesus is impacting all these people, but it is focusing on how the apostles moved the faith forward. That's a really important thing. In fact, we're going to talk about that in two weeks. And it's, a, it's something that people really often miss. In fact, one of the things about the book of Acts is it actually just focuses on two apostles. And one of them wasn't even one of the twelve. It focuses on the first twelve chapters, focus on Peter. So that we see Peter doing, be, becoming kind of standing up as the spokesman of the church. We see Peter uh, being the one with John often, but being the one who's persecuted for preaching the gospel. And so Peter becomes kind of the focus. And, and we even saw that, didn't we? You know, Jesus made sure that in, in John's gospel, Jesus made sure that Peter was restored and, and kind of called Peter to you know, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, and so forth. And so he's shown, here's Peter, the one recognized as kind of the spokesman for, for this new church, for this, these followers of Jesus. He's put forward. But then in, in, cha- in chapters 13 to 28, Paul is put forward. And here's what's interesting. You, you miss this sometimes as you go through it, but if you see it in one picture, Luke makes sure that the things that we see that Peter did, Paul did the same things. And so what Luke's trying to do is show us that this, the kind of apostolic authority that, that Peter had, Paul had also. Which is why we look at the things that he wrote, and we see them just as much in Scripture as the things that, say, Peter wrote, or John wrote, who were first-hand eyewitnesses. That'll become more important later on. Now, what's also, though, really important about this is the fact that what Luke's telling us in these very beginning verses is, is that Jesus, after he's resurrected, 
he continues to instruct these guys for 40 days, right? His apostles for 40 days, among, among others. And as he's instructing them, he's doing it. Listen, what does it say? It says, <clears throat> I lost my place. There it says, he says that he did this. He spoke to them through the Holy Spirit. In other words, listen, after God the Son, okay, comes to this earth in the form of man. Luke makes that really clear. He's born of a virgin. He comes as a man, right? So he's conceived supernaturally as a man. God the Son is there. God the Son lives on this earth. But in living on this earth, he lives as a man. A complete and perfect man. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us that he, seeing himself as being equal with God, not thinking it was something to be considered a robbery to be equal with God, he lays aside, he basically lays aside the free exercise of that deity and becomes just a bondservant. So in other words, here, here's the point. Jesus, as this perfect man, lived his entire life, even after his resurrection, in the power, in reliance upon the power of God's Spirit. He didn't just kind of say, well, I'm the perfect man, I'll do it myself. He still submitted himself to the Father's will, which was to do things by the power of God's Spirit. This is why we see in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 3, it says, On the days that the crowds were gathering around John the Baptist, Jesus himself went to be baptized. And after he was baptized, and after he prayed, as he was praying, it says the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form. In other words, before Jesus started his earthly ministry, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him so that he could go do his ministry. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because the reason we're talking about this, this reality that Acts is about the apostles that Jesus chose, is that we're talking about apostles to whom Jesus set this perfect example of what it means to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we, we are so... We make such a big deal, rightly so, about the deity of Christ. We're always talking about Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. That's why we worship Him. And we should. That's right. It's good. But we forget that He came as a man. In fact, the things that a lot of the epistle writers talk about, John specifically says, if someone says that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they're a heretic. They're, they're not in the faith. The, the reality that, that, that God became man and lived as a perfect man is crucially important for us. He set the example to all of us, not just the apostles, of, listen, if you're going to live the life that pleases God, you can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts. Now, to be fair, as the scripture says here in John uh, 3.34, Jesus is, is... Sent by God, he speaks God's word, for God gives him the spirit without limit. We don't get the spirit without limit. At least not as a single person. God, the spirit, indwells God's people collectively in a similar way that he indwelled Jesus personally. That doesn't mean that God's spirit doesn't dwell in each of us as individuals. He does. When we're born again, God's spirit comes to dwell in us. But there's something unique about Uh, Jesus, of course, in in his relationship to the Holy Spirit. But we need to see that parallel. That Jesus is the example of being dependent upon the Holy Spirit and he wants us collectively as God's people to see that. Now, these guys, these apostles, are guys that are hand-picked by Jesus, okay? They're they're hand-picked by Jesus to do uh, the work that he wants to do, to continue the work that he wants to do. 
So, moving on quickly, verse 3. Jesus goes on, sorry, Luke goes on the right, to whom, Jesus is, is, is give commands to the apostles whom he chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs or convincing truths, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is the third thing that the Acts is about. Acts is about the people Jesus impacts. It's about the apostle Jesus chose. <clears throat> and it's about the kingdom Jesus inaugurated. It's about his kingdom. Now, here's what's interesting. This kingdom, this reality of God's rule, God's influence, God's authority that was brought in when the king, God's chosen king, comes to this earth and dies and rises again and ascends. This kingdom is, as you've probably heard before, is a reality that we're living in already. But it's also a reality that we haven't lived in completely, and so it's also not yet. We're in this in-between time where we can live under the authority of Jesus, we can live uh, under His rule and His reign and all that that implies, which the book of Acts is about. But there's still a reality that we're waiting for the kingdom to come when the king returns. That's an important thing to think about. But I want you to notice some things that Luke brings up that are just really important to remember because these are important aspects about the kingdom. He says that Jesus presented himself after his sufferings. After his sufferings. Now Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God the whole time he's preaching, but he doesn't present himself until after he suffers. Why? Because it's his sufferings that give us access to his kingdom. It's because Jesus died for us that we have access into God's kingdom. But it also says, he presented himself alive. Now, if you guys know the Gospels at all, you know that these guys were not expecting, once Jesus was crucified, they thought, that's it, it's over. They were depressed, they were sad. Peter says, I'm going fishing again. You know, He actually did it after he even heard that Jesus uh, had resurrected. After he even saw the empty tomb, he went and did that. These guys did not get it, that Jesus had predicted not only his death, but also his resurrection. And so he appeared to them many, many, many times. This is the many infallible proofs that they're referring to. Now, there's at least 11 different times that the gospel writers bring about when Jesus showed himself alive. But Paul kind of sums it up simply like this, okay? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then now, here's what he says to, to back up the fact. Here's the evidence, the convincing evidence, okay, that Jesus actually did come back to life according to the scriptures. Just as the scriptures predicted, just as Jesus predicted. He says, and he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. We think that might be at the Great Commission. And of whom, notice he says, the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, there's most of those 500 people that saw Jesus alive, heard him teach about the kingdom, experienced him. Most of those people you could go ask and they could say, yeah, I saw Jesus. He said these things. He was alive. He was just as alive as he's ever been before. It was the craziest thing. He was there. He's alive. And it says, and after he had been, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, again, then last of all he was seen by me also, this is Paul, as one born out of due time. Now, 
This is important because all four of the Gospels and all the New Testament treat the resurrection of Jesus as a historical reality. This actually happens. That this man, Jesus, uh, claimed to be God, claimed that, uh, or predicted exactly how he would die, down to the detail, was, uh, what did suffer exactly how he said he would suffer, and then, three days later, just as he said, rose from the dead, came back to life, and showed himself over and over again to be alive, and in fact, walked on the surf for 40 days, teaching people more and more stuff about the kingdom of God. This is important, okay? It's important because it's the fact that Jesus lives, that we have security in God's kingdom, that we know that we're going to be in God's kingdom forever. See, it's the, it's the reality of Jesus' resurrection that's going to give these guys the boldness to face death over and over again in the book of Acts. As we read over and over again, we're going to see that these guys were, were they suffered greatly. We're going to see times, guys, which it still to this day blows me away, where people go, wow, thank you, Lord, that we've been counted worthy to suffer for your name. Thank you, Lord. Smiles on their face. We've been counted worthy to suffer for your name. Where certainly he's like, Lord, do I really have to suffer? How did they do that? Because they saw Jesus alive. They saw him beaten where he should have been dead. They saw him crucified when they knew he was dead. They saw him buried. They saw the tomb he was buried in empty. And they saw him over and over again after he was alive. They saw him alive. This is why it's pretty awesome to be a Christian. <laughs> because we're not following an idea. We're not following some grand teachings. We're following the living God. We're following Him who is alive. That's what separates Christianity from everything else. In fact, this is why Paul says, listen, going on in 1 Corinthians 15, this is why Paul says, listen, listen if the dead do not rise, then Christ isn't risen. In other words, if people say, oh, come on, no one comes back from the dead. Okay, fine. Let's think about this logic. If that's the case, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. So all the churches out there, I'm not begging on any other churches, but we all know of people who go to church who go, well, I don't think Jesus actually rose from the dead. What's the point then? Your faith is futile, if that's the case. Your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You have no security that you're right with this greater God. Those also who have fallen asleep in, in Christ have perished. In other words, they're dead and it's over. And then he says this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Do you understand that? See, the book of Acts is such a radical history of radical things that a radical God's doing to radically change the world. Why? Because these guys knew Jesus was alive. And whatever happened to them, it didn't matter because because he was resurrected, they'd be resurrected. Interesting, the book of Acts uses the word resurrection more than any other book in the New Testament. Now, Jesus taught these guys about the kingdom. I really don't think that he taught them anything new. I think after he was risen, that 40 days, he's like going, okay, look, remember when I said? <laughs> he's just kind of reminding them what he already said. Because they don't record anything that he taught 
in those 40 days. And you would think that would be the stuff, that you, the juicy stuff you really want to write down. They didn't record any of that. Why? I think he was just kind of going back to say, okay, remember when we were at this place and we were all eating and I said this and you were going, oh, yeah, we get it, Jesus. And you didn't have a clue. Now it makes sense. We get it. We get it. This kingdom is the kingdom we belong to. This Jesus is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that we preach. This is the, the, the one that we want people to know. We're not interested in bringing people to servant's church. We're interested in bringing people to the servant, Jesus who's the servant. We want people to know him. Now, as we get into the book of Acts, um, we're going to do much more than three verses at a time. It'll probably be a little easier to follow because we'll be dealing with bigger pictures instead of these little bitty things. But my, my desire is to, to teach the book of Acts uh, in such a way that it really challenges us. That we would look at this and say, Lord, we need what your people have always needed. <laughs> we need, we need to, to live in the reality of Christ crucified, of Christ resurrected, of Christ coming again. We need to be endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. We need to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to let God do what God wants to do. We need to be led in our church planting and in our evangelism and in our, in our lives together, our doing life together. We need to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what we want to see. Because it's this church that God adds souls to daily. And this is what we desire to see. God adding to His church corporately daily. Amen? Amen. All right.